We are in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. If you'll stand with me, I'll read. You can follow along with your Bibles or on the screen. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just like the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Lord, we believe this is your word. It's your word for mankind It's your word for this church. And Lord, we just pray that your gracious provision of atonement for our sins would ever be before our eyes as we go through this text today. We love you and worship you, and we're already just stirred to give you glory for your great love and mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, Blaine wonderfully filled in for me last Sunday, beginning Ephesians chapter 2, teaching through verse uh, 7. And so our main text today will will be verses 8 through 10 uh, once we get there. But verses 1 through 10 speak of our hopelessness apart from Jesus. Our hopelessness apart from Jesus. And Verses 11 through 22 speak of our helplessness apart from Jesus. Our hopelessness is still found as we continue what Blaine started last week, that apart from Jesus, we have a major fallen condition. We are in a dire situation. And yet there's wonderful news for us. Some commentators have suggested that verses 4 through 10 or a kind of hymn celebrating the glories of salvation. Or as the reformers said in Latin, sola gratia, that it's only by grace that we are saved. That this, this message is kind of interrupted by this hymn here in verses 4 through 10. And I hope you'll hear the hymn being sung as we read through it and study it today. Verse 1 tells us that we were made alive, King James Version, or New King James Version is the only version that speaks to that being made alive. Other than that, it just says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. We see these trespasses, we see these 
sins. We see the sinful condition of men in these verses. The idea behind the word trespasses, and I always wonder if I'm saying it right. Lindsay teases me from my bonanza background, and I always trespass, you know, or something like that. And uh, there's a few words that she just uh, uh, trespass. Uh, ah, hard to say, but it speaks of crossing a line. As many of us hunters know, you know, there's a line there, and you don't want to cross it. I remember growing up on a ranch with some prime hunting ground, and while we would be out hunting, we'd also be hunting for trespassers. And uh, my uncles would have us hike the ridge and radio in any trespassers we'd see down below. And then he'd go confront him, and we'd be up on the top and altercations would take place and the sheriff would be called and you're just wondering what's going to go down. Uh, quite scary, but there's that crossing of the line uh, that has, uh, you know, it has consequences. And it's the same case with our spiritual condition as we challenge God's boundaries, as we lose our trust in him and trust in our own ideas and ways. So trespasses, but there's also this idea of sin, speaking of us missing the mark of God's perfect standards. And so we're dead in crossing the line. We're dead in our missing the mark of God's glorious, righteous ways. Our trespassing speaks of a man who's a rebel, and our sins speak of a man who's a failure. And it's been said that before God, we are both rebels and failures. In verse 2, we see that you once walked according to the course of this world. Speaks of your fallen condition, that you are a sinner separated from God. Not only that, you walked according to the prince and power of the air. You were hand in hand with the devil going for long walks on the beach, essentially. According to his sons of disobedience. In verse 3, it says, we all are part of this rebellious, sinful ways. We all are. And the verse 3 ends with, just as the others. There's nobody who escapes this rebellion and this sinfulness. We all, just as the others. We conducted ourselves according to the lusts of the flesh. Just whatever our flesh wants, we would just give it to it. We would let our flesh rule and our flesh be in control, whether it's our flesh and our body or our mind. And in that state, we were children. We talked about this a couple Wednesday nights ago that, you know, our culture loves to just say that we're all children of God. And, you know, in the sense of all being created by God, that's, that's true. We've all been created by God in the image of God. But in the sense of being part of God's family, it's no longer true because of these fallen condition focuses here. It tells us that we're not children of God when we're in our fallen state, but we're children of God's wrath. We are going to be the benefactors of a holy God and his universal almighty sovereign wrath against sin. If we're left in our fallen condition, we are by nature children of that wrath. And then I'm sure Blaine touched on it great, but then you have these two beautiful gospel words bringing good news in verse 4. But God. But God. Then he moved his richness and mercy and because of his great love that he loved us, 
Even when we were in the red, even when we were in the dead, dead in trespasses, he in his gracious, loving, merciful provision has made us alive with Christ. And that's the key there. It's only with Christ that we're made alive. We're at the end of verse 7, in Christ Jesus. This is not apart from Christ Jesus. This is not according to your ways and how you want to do things. This is only in the person and work that we've trusted in, Jesus Christ. And the beautiful news is that he raised us up together. As Jesus died and rose from the dead, so too do we raise up. He, as Jesus ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, he too has made us sit together in the heavenly places. And again, in Christ Jesus, not in however you want it to work and look, but according to his ways, he's graciously provided good news for those who were once children of wrath, dead in trespasses and sins, walking hand in hand with Satan in his ways. And the purpose of all of this is found in that word that, the beginning of verse 7, so that, there's a connecting word there, in the ages to come, in eons, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Just bountiful provision. I always think of, when I was growing up, there was a cartoon called DuckTales. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but, you know, you guys remember Uncle Scrooge, you know, and he'd dive into that vault. He had like a vault full of coins, gold coins, and he'd, in his one-piece swimsuit, which is much more modest for a duck to wear, you know, he'd dive off the, the board and go swimming in his coins and spitting them up in the air, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's essentially what I think of when I read of the exceeding riches of his grace. In Christ Jesus, we're just diving into just the wealth of provision and gracious treasures that he has provided for us. As chapter 1 verse 3 says that he has given us the blessings of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And now, for the sake of just completely preaching what Blaine preached yesterday, we are going to move on. In verses 8 through 10, we have kind of a summing up of God's work in this individual reconciliation and bringing us out of that fallen condition. And it's in verse 8, and this is just a beloved passage. Many of you have it memorized for by grace you've been saved. Now just think about that for a minute. Think about all, you know, in my notes, I just, I highlighted all the sinful fallen condition red. It's all red. So as you look at verses 1 through 7, it's just there's a lot of red. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of bad news. And then there's just these good news things. It's by grace that you've been saved from all that sin and consequences of sin and the wrath of God separated from God, hand in hand with the devil. It's by his grace that you've been saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. This beautiful phrase, by grace you've been saved. By grace you've been saved. It's been called the melody line of this section of scripture. You can sing it. You can write songs about it. Try it later this afternoon. Your family will thank you. There's a reason for verse 7. 
that we will show the riches of the grace toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. You know, we get to rejoice in what he's done for us, but that just reflects back into showing him off. For by grace you've been saved. As you study the Bible and you're a study of the, the word and of literature, you look at things like the tenses of the Greek words. Now don't check out yet. You're like, <laughs> But this, this word by grace you've been saved is in the present awareness tense. There's a present awareness based on some past activity that's taken place. By grace you have been saved. By the grace of God. That's a popular phrase. Tune your ear to hear it and you'll hear the world say it a lot. You'll hear total sinners who want nothing to do with God bust out that phrase, by the grace of God. And just as a couple weeks ago, we said we need to redeem the word blessed or blessing in our culture Oh man, that, that the Lord would redeem that beautiful phrase by the grace of God. Because it is beautiful. It's by grace. It's the Greek word charis. Beautiful word, charis. It speaks of God's kindness and his gift toward us. And some people refer to grace just in a reverent fashion went with Calvary Chapel Burns pastor to a hat store in Ben where everyone's getting their sweet trucker hats. And, uh, and he just started getting all these hats made um, that we love so much, you know. And, and he's just like, I want this hat to say grace. I want it to say cares. I want this to say faith. I want this to say unashamed. You know, he's like, I just want to be able to talk to people about what I value and I treasure. I treasure cares as he had it printed on his hat in the Greek so he can go buckaroo with the cowboys with his cares hat on. I just want to talk about the grace and the kindness of God. Grace speaks about God graciously paying a penalty that we could never pay. And God offering a gift that we could never earn. And through all of this, he's going to introduce us to a crossroads that we cannot avoid. Today, as you are here, you are studying grace with us. And by the end of today, you will be at a crossroads where you either re receive and accept the grace of God and his gift towards you in atonement for sins, forgiveness of sins, new life in Christ, redemption for all of the, the bad of verses 1 through 7. Or you're going to reject that gift. You're going to turn. And you're going to continue walking with the prince and power of the air. By grace, you have been saved. The tense in the perfect passive participle plural. Participle. Got to put the emphasis on the right syllable on that one. It means we have been rescued. Of course, we know that we are being rescued and we will be rescued. But in the tense here, we have been rescued. We have been delivered. We have been healed. See the parentheses at the end of verse 5. For by grace you have been saved. 
And if you only knew, we're going to get back to it in verse 8, Paul's saying. But he just couldn't withhold himself from saying it in verse 5, too. For by grace you've been saved. We're coming back to it. For by grace you have been saved. It's a present activity as a result of a past action of God giving us his indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Think of that during Christmas season and giving gifts. And we give gifts because of his indescribable gift of Jesus this gift comes through faith. It comes because of faith, the word through means. It comes because of what can be believed. That's what the faith speaks of here, is, that, is this grace comes because it can be believed. It is trustworthy. It is promised. It takes the faith completely off of us and it shows us that all of this is just because it can be believed. It is trustworthy. And in this verse we have three key words. We have saved or salvation. We have grace, charis, gift. And we have faith. By grace you've been saved. Sozo in the Greek. Mankind had this basic problem. They were dead. They could not make themselves alive. They were enslaved to all kinds of desires, condemned in their trespasses. But something took place, and the record of wrongs, that was supposed to be a terror, was tore up. The handwriting of requirements that was against us were blotted out. Jesus nailed it to the cross. We were saved. We've got to have a biblical God perspective on man to appreciate that. Not just our perspective about ourselves, like, I've done some bad things in my life. But we've got to have a holy, righteous God perspective on our sins, that we're not just sick in need of medicine or unhappy in need of joy, but we are dead. <laughs> that woke you up takes farting noises for you guys to wake up around here. You know, I left the youth ministry to pastor adults. Could we? We're not just unhappy people in need of joy, but we are dead people in need of life. That's the story of the Bible, that we were made for a life with God but we've chosen and choose to live a life of rebellion and trespass without God, and so we are alienated from God. We are alienated from God because of sin, and God is alienated from us because of wrath. But in Jesus, God has reconciled sinners to himself. We're saved because of Jesus, by his grace. The third word is faith. This Grace comes through faith. It's been said it is the conduit by which we tap into the blessings and means of grace. It is not faith that produces salvation. It is not because we decided we wanted to exercise faith one day that God then, oh, good, good one on you, rewards us with salvation. 
But the very faith itself is a result of God's goodness and grace to us. Think of that again. Faith is the conduit by which we tap into the blessings and the means. It is the means of grace. Think of water flowing through a hose. What's the important part here? It is the water. It is the water that brings life and salvation. But it's communicated through the hose. It's not the hose that quenches our thirst. It's the water that brings life. The hose brings the water to the place where you can benefit from it. We drink through the hose and we don't thank God for the hose. We thank God for the water. We bring nothing to our salvation except the sin we need saving from. Listening to Alistair Bay, he put it so well that salvation is not a transaction between God and us where he contributes grace and we contribute faith, but rather Faith is a response to grace. It's not our contribution to the salvation uh, formula. It's a response to what he has done. One old hymn says, I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart. It's a gift of God. It's by the grace of God that we even have faith, that we are offered mercy. We are entirely dependent on God for the capacity to embrace the gospel. And also, God enables us to believe. Yet in the mystery of it all, he does not believe for us. John Stott said, Grace is God's free gift and undeserved mercy towards us. And faith is simply the humble trust with which we, we, we receive it for ourselves. We receive God's gift. Grace is not a reward for the works that we've done. If it were, it would be a basis for boasting in verse 9. Faith, grace, salvation, and faith. If you take a public survey, you know that we all have faith to some degree. We go and get on a jet airliner, and we trust those pilots, and we trust the mechanics of the plane, we trust the engines, and we put our faith in pilots and mechanics. We go out on the highway, we put our faith in other drivers, that they're driving sober, that they're not texting and driving, that they're going to stay on the right side of the road and follow the laws that we've all agreed to regarding driving. Every time we sit down, we trust the legs on the chair and the builder of the chair, that we're not going to fall and crack our tailbone. You know, we basically have a faith assumption that the gases in this room are good enough to breathe, that by the end of the sermon, we won't all pass out. We trust our hairdressers. That's the biggest one of them all. You go and you sit down there and you say, do what you want to do, you know. Or you show them a picture. I want it to look like that. And then they spin you around and you're just like, mm, oh, okay, good. 
So there is this level of faith, but there's also this assumption of faith in our culture that just because I believe it, it is true. That's a wrong sort of faith. It's what they call a subjective notion. And that's not what the Bible is talking about here. There's a credulity type of faith, like a form of positive thinking. You know, the book that's out there, The Power of Positive Thinking, initially tells you in the opening chapter to quote to yourself in the morning three times, I believe, I believe, I believe. Then your wife rolls over and says, could you quit waking me up? And also, what do you believe in? Because it's not the fact that you believe in something that brings about positive change or salvation. It's in what you believe. It is, it is the faith, trust, the thing that you have trust in with that faith and with that belief. George Michael put it so well in those leather pants. You've got to have faith, faith, faith with the cross earring dangling there. That doesn't do any help. Faith in what? Faith in God's grace. There's an old childhood acronym to help you remember what grace is. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That that is a totally undeserved giving of God, providing for us. We don't deserve it and we stand in zero merit of it. Charles Hodge wrote, saved by grace through faith, by simply receiving or apprehending the offered blessing from the very nature of faith as an act of assent and trust. It excludes the idea of merit. Because verse 9 goes on and tells us that this salvation is not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's by no merit of yours. And the fact that there's a requirement to trust and to assent that what God says is true nullifies any merit we may think we have in our own. And so we have these truths of Scripture That there must be faith. You do got to have faith. The faith, the faith. But it's got to be in the gracious, rich provision of Jesus Christ. Man must believe. And if you'll bear, bear with me today, we've got 17 minutes and 30 seconds, to just machine gun at you scriptures that show us that man must believe But there's also this sovereign hand of God in enabling that faith and belief to even happen. And so here it goes. Ready? Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. You want to be saved? Ephesians, by grace then there must be belief in that. Now, Mark's gospel is very interesting because he who believes and is baptized will be saved. There's this, and be baptized. But the crucial thing in that verse is not baptism. If you don't believe, you'll be condemned. 
Luke 7, 50, he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Faith brings about salvation. John 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Down in verse 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Now, Jesus referenced Moses and the bronze serpent. And that's an incredible story because you've got you know, uh, Israel and sin, and because of their sin, uh, and their idolatry and their lack of trusting in God, um, they, you know, the Lord sends snakes out to like correct them. And they get bitten by these po- poisonous snakes. And so the Lord says, here's what I want you to do, uh, Moses. Make a bronze snake and wrap it on a pole. And we're going to lift it up. And as the people just come and look at the snake, they'll be healed from their diseases. And it says like people would not do that. It's just ridiculous. It takes humility to be like, well, first of all, I got bit because of my sin and I wasn't, I was in rebellion and trespass anyways. And now you want me to like go and like, okay, you know, you know, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. The same thing is for us today. We've got this cancer of sin leading to death in our lives. And the message is the same. Just as the snake and the serpent was lifted up on the pole, Jesus, it's a picture of Jesus, he was lifted up at the cross, and if we would just look to him, trust in him, assent to his way of salvation for us, have faith in what he's doing, we will be saved. But if we won't believe in that, we're condemned already. We've got the cancer of sin within us. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. This is something we see back in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 13 and 14, that we believe because we've heard the holy word of God, the gospel of our salvation. As we hear the gospel, today you're hearing the gospel, it's going forth. That You have sinned, that's bad news, but God's made a wonderful provision for your sins through Christ Jesus. And so you're hearing the word, you're hearing the gospel, and as you, be, as you believe, then you shall not come into judgment, but you will have everlasting life. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in the, in the Philippian jail, and uh, and the Philippian jailer, after an earthquake in the prison, you know, the doors are all open and the jailer's about to kill himself. Uh, Paul says, no, don't kill yourself. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved then? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe and you'll be saved. Romans 4, 5. But to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is accounted for righteousness. And something that we see there is there's a distinction between working for salvation and having faith that trusts in God for righteousness. Those are two different things. 
Faith is not in that same category as a work. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In 1 John 5.10, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe, God has made him a liar because he's not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony. Okay, remember we're talking about you hear the word of truth, you hear the testimony, and then you believe? Well, here, it's coming out again, just in case you're like, you never preached the word and you never preached the gospel. John's just doing it for you, okay? And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The Son comes to us through that garden hose, if you will, the conduit of faith as you believe. Romans 4.16. You ready? Everybody, you ready? Roll up your sleeves. We're going to do this. Verse 16 through chapter 5, verse 3. You can do it with me. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. We're going to hop down to verse 18. Well, it speaks of Abraham. Okay? Um, yeah, okay, we'll just read the story of Abraham. I'm trying to use my time wisely with you guys. Okay? Um, that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believe. So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19, so Abraham's our example. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, real quick, Paul is using Abraham as an example of looking at the serpent, if you will. Only, Abraham was being called to believe God's promise that even though he's 100 years old and his wife's like 90 and they're basically already dead, they're actually going to have kids, and through their line, all the world is going to be blessed through him. Like, that's right on the same level as look up at that bronze serpent and you'll be healed. And so it says that he wasn't weak in faith. He didn't waver at the promise of God. It's something that just seemed like not ever going to happen. But he was strengthened in faith, verse 20, giving glory to God. So even as we're strengthened in faith, we'll get to this in a little bit, there's a hand of God in that, and he gets glory through it. He was fully convinced that what he'd promised, he was able to perform. And so it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. I know you're bored reading about Abraham. Don't let it happen. Because there's verse 24. It's for us also. 
it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 1. We're declared just by faith. We have peace with God through grace, through Jesus. Now, there's all of this belief. We've read it. Man must believe if they'll be saved. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it gets a little confusing because then there's this phrase, and that not of yourselves. So what's it speaking of? Is it speaking of salvation by grace that's not of yourself? Or is it speaking of faith that's not of yourself? Like you don't even do it. Well, we see there's a little bit of both there. We know the text, the context, the grammar actually applies to, it takes this phrase, not of yourself, and it applies it to you are saved by grace. It's that salvation by grace that the grammar points to. That is what is not of yourself. Clark, Adam Clark, a Greek scholar, emphatically states that the original Greek is clear in noting that it, when it says the gift of God, it's referred to salvation. It's referring of salvation, not faith. The Greek Great Greek scholar Dean Alford clearly points out that this not of yourselves refers to salvation, not to faith. As you keep studying your Greek and you use your literary rules to help you interpret scripture, don't check out. We'll move beyond this literary stuff in just a minute. John Stott helps us understand by saying the word that not of yourself, it's the word tutu, you can remember that surely, is in the neuter form. You can laugh at that in the neuter form but faith is in the feminine form so if it was referring to faith that's not from you then then it would be in the feminine form but it's referring neuter up ahead to grace and salvation now it doesn't really matter anyways except for this we know that man has to believe but we know that faith also is a gift from god Faith also is something that is good, that is a gift. It's a perfect gift, as James says. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Now, we've machine gun verses about, you got to believe, you got to believe, you got to have faith, right? Now we're going to machine gun verses about how faith is it even, this salvation, this work, this enablement to believe, without actually believing for us, this is a gift of God's grace and work as well. Okay, so are you ready? I got five minutes and 29 seconds. Okay, here we go. Ephesians 1.19, we were just there a couple weeks ago. There's this, we want to know, Paul's praying that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And it's all according to the working of his mighty power. In Matthew, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You just declared a, a word of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Good job. You believe. But flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who's in heaven, 
God, he causes, he enables this. He has a hand in it. In John 1, 12 through 13, I love this because we see that as many as receive or believe or have faith, to them he gives a right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Now don't close your Bibles there and be like, oh yeah, I got a right to be a child of God. I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe. I did it today. Woo. The verse goes on. The sentence goes on, rather. Verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so you see his sovereign hand in this? It's there. As John 6, 37 says, All the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Are you seeing the both? Father gives, people come, those who come, I will not cast out by no means. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then down in verse, uh, by the way, we're hopping there, John 6. That was 37, that was verse 44, now verse 65. And he said, therefore, I've said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Okay? In Acts chapter 14, we have this beautiful declaration to the Jews that the gospel has gone to the Gentiles, and the people rejoice in the end of verse 27, Acts 14, because he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. We have Lydia in Acts chapter 16, also in Philippi. Beautiful woman, wonderful woman, a woman of venture, a woman of fair trade. She was a seller, a seller, seller of scarlet. Okay. You get it. All right. The Lord opened her heart. Okay. To heed. You got that? The Lord opens the heart. He enables but it's still this seller of scarlets. She responds. She heeds the gospel, the word of truth, the things spoken by Paul. Ephesians 1.13, we already did that one. It's in my notes. I think it's in there like 10 times and I forgot to erase it. In Romans 10, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And then down in verse 17, then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we read Romans 10 earlier, verses 9 and 10, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, remember that. But then we also see that there's this process by which people hear the word of truth. Okay, uh, it says that they, um, the, uh, the reverse order here, if you will, um, they've got to hear from the mouth of a preacher the word, just like you are today. They, once they hear, they will believe, okay? Once they believe, they will call upon the name of the Lord. And once they call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. It's basically reading this verse backwards, and you get the structure and the order of things. Now, all that's wonderful and dandy, but verse 17 tells us that none of that even happens unless God gives us this gift of faith that comes through the word of God. 
He initiates it. I've got 50 seconds. How did that happen? We're not paying attention to that anyways. <clears throat> it's the gift of God. Okay? That's what verse 8 says. It's the gift of God. And it's not of yourselves. In verse 9, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast and brag about it. And Romans just does so beautifully by saying that anyone that thinks they're going to stand before the throne of God and just be like, I did this, I did this, I was born here, I was of this family, I was really cool, I had so much money, and I did this, and I did this, and I was a pretty good person. I was in the Boy Scouts, and I was an American, and I voted Republican, and I this, and I this, and all these things that we just kind of were like, whoo, I'm a good man, and I got a lot to offer you, God. Romans says every mouth will be stopped, and they will be found a liar before God guilty of sin Christians are always uncomfortable with the presence of pride they sense that it is incongruous with the faith that we can't boast before God he is the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus but Romans 3:27 says so where is the boasting then it is excluded by what law by the law of works, no, by the law of faith. When we come to him with faith instead of works, it just shows him we got nothing to rest in but him. The only thing that we have to boast in is him. Oh, there's so much good stuff. Romans 4, verses 1 through 5. It's one of the last things, okay? Romans 4, verses 1 through 5. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. There's a huge distinction between working for righteousness and responding to the gospel of grace and receiving righteousness. One is that the Lord is graciously providing for us a good gift, and one is that we're coming up to him and saying, I've done this for you, you owe me. And we know that he is a debtor to no man. He's a debtor to no man. He will not be a debtor to you. Hopefully this puts us in our place this morning, in our Christian experience and in our coming to know Jesus and to be saved, that we wouldn't boast and be puffed up that I had faith, the faith, the faith. I believed that we would understand that it was him who even initiated this thing in the first place. It was his grace from the foundations of the world, it was his grace. It was his endeavor. And he, in his sovereign way, has worked in this group of people who would call themselves Christians today, who are redeemed and born again, to work in us faith. He enables us to believe today. And yet there's also a call to you that he will not believe for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's have the worship team come on up. Lord, we humble ourselves 
because our sinful nature that still wants to rule and wants to cling, we still want some sort of pride and rights and, and something to boast in. Our sinful condition just doesn't want to really believe that we looked to the serpent on the pole for healing from our cancer, from our diseases. And so, Lord, as we've come to your word today, and we've looked at all of the dark ways that we crossed the line and rebelled against you and even failed you. Being children of wrath, hand in hand with the devil, destined for judgment, destined for hell. Today we remember, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us. We rejoice, God, in your grace and in your mercy and in your love and in that unearned gift that you've given us. 